do what I'm about to do. But Bobby and Sheila are with us. They're still married, and I married them way back the first one back there. So we're glad. They, they've been in the military all around the world and are, are back in our area. We thank God for them. So how many remember Bobby and Sheila? Yeah, praise the Lord. How many remember me? How many remember what they did yesterday? <laughs> Second Kings. Turn to Second Kings with me. I uh, have been preaching on Sunday nights in uh, Second Kings. Just recently started it. And uh, I've been enjoying it. And I guess if I am, at least there's one. <laughs> and uh, so I want to bring a message from chapter 2 uh, about... The curse of barrenness, barrenness, the curse of barrenness, our unfruitfulness. I better use unfruitfulness, hadn't I? Barrenness. The curse of barrenness. Chapter 2. Thanks for asking. 2 Kings chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 19. We're going to look at verse 19. Uh, I will be preaching in chapter 2 tonight, I think. Or wherever I feel the Spirit of God leading me. I was in chapter 5 last Sunday night. But we do have something else in chapter 2 that needs to be brought out. But we're going to look at this. The curse of, of unfruitfulness. The curse of barren, barrenness. Not producing fruit. Okay? Alright, so here it is. It's just a devotional thought from this practical issue that took place. They're in Jericho, by the way. The city here is Jericho in verse 19. The prophet is Elisha. Of course, his name is in verse 19. And the men of the city of Jericho said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of this city is pleasant, as the Lord saith, but the water is not, and the ground is barren. And he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein, and he brought it to him. And he went forth unto the spring of waters, and cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed thee these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. Now, chapter 2, Elisha is the new prophet in the place of Elijah. Elijah was the great prophet of God that was the, the uh, leader of, uh, of the prophets of the time. There was a school of prophets, and Elisha was his personal assistant, his ministry assistant, if you want to use today's terms. Now, Elisha trained in that position, and then... When uh, he was about to be taken up, remember Elijah told him, don't follow me, don't follow me, don't follow me. But he kept following. And then he told him, if you're here when I'm taken up, you can have whatever you request. Of course, his request was a, a noble, godly request. He said, I want a double portion of your spirit. In other words, he says, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. And that really doesn't mean double in the sense of double as much as it just really means 
I, I want to be like you, the firstborn of all of it. And the firstborn would get a double portion of inheritance because he had to take care of things. So Elisha wanted this. And, and actually he was granted this by God in that he did do twice the miracles that Elijah, the great prophet Elijah, did. Even when he died and they put him in the grave, what happened? What's, what's, what, what event took place? Remember, they took a fellow and they go drop him in the grave on top of Elijah and the guy was revived and he was resurrected when he touched the bones of Elisha. So what we have here is one of his early miracles here where the water, the place was pleasant in Jericho. The water was not, it was bad, and the ground was barren. Now, we're going to see, I want us to see a devotional thought for us as Christians from the text. I'm not going to preach the literal, but I'm going to bring an allegorical message from it. Now, something I've learned as I've read through these, uh, these kings and Samuels, <clears throat> I believe that Jesus, when he was talking about the salt, and when he was speaking about the light, and we're the salt of the earth, and the light of the world, right? I believe he was not forming original thoughts, as you might think. I don't believe he was forming original thoughts at the time. I believe he was pulling from the Old Testament. And isn't that so consistent? Because Jesus always lifted up the Old Testament to us, didn't he? And so I believe he was pulling from these Old Testament stories. And he had written it to start with, right? I mean, he wrote the book, right? Through the Spirit of God, second person of the Trinity. He wrote the book, so he has that right to pull from the text. So the, the men of Jericho come to him in verse 19, and, and, and they said, Elisha, behold, I pray thee, the situation of the city is pleasant. Definition of pleasant. Uh, happy, satisfying, everything looks good. Everything looks good, okay? It's pleasant. No problems going on here. Everything seems to be working smooth. But he said, we got a problem. What's the problem? It's pleasant as the Lord seeth, but the water is not. The water is bad, and the ground is barren. Okay, so I want you to think about this, that everything can be just wonderful, but is that our goal? Everything can, can just be pleasant, but is that our goal? Okay, so the situation was pleasant. There was a problem. The water was bad. It was worthless. And because the water was bad, the ground was barren. Everything looked good. Everything looked good. Everybody was happy, right? Only those that would look at that critical way, only those that would look into the future, only those that would think about where we're going from here saw a problem. Everybody else was just, isn't it great to be here? The ground was barren. There would be no fruit produced is what the text tells us. They had not yet begun to feel the feeling experienced the problem of barrenness but some of them knew there was something that had to be changed or they couldn't continue to exist the way they were okay what am I preaching to well I'm going to preach to our country 
I want to preach to our church, and then I want to preach to you and I individually. Things can just be wonderful. But does that mean everything's okay? Our church can just be happy. We're all getting along. We're all just doing well. And, but does that guarantee our future success? Does that mean that there will be a church here in 40 years? See, everything looked good. But there were no fruit. There was no fruit. It was pleasant. I would ask you for you as a part of our church family, is pleasant our goal? Good music. Good sermons that don't irritate us. You know what I'm saying? The kids are quiet. Or we've eliminated them from the situation where we don't have a disturbance. Is pleasant our goal? Now see, we got to see this. What he is laying out, what the writer is laying out is there was no real outward problems going on. Everyone pretty much doing their own thing, going about their business. But their future was devastating. Now, let's look at our own life. You know, there's times, there's times that I don't, I, I, I used to didn't do this because I couldn't sit still, but there's times that I sit still. And you know what happens when I sit still at my house? It all builds up. You, you ladies, uh, do you wait till it builds up before you clean your house? Please don't do that. You will be so discouraged. I have had the blessing of being raised by two women, my mother and my wife, that could not tolerate filth. Now, let me tell you something. If you can tolerate filth, you will live in filth. Let me tell you about me. I can't, I can't use a commode that's filthy. And by the way, at the house, I go outside. I do not contribute to my you know, own fault. But think about this. In your own life, be careful when you think everything's pleasant. Are you doing the things you need to be doing? Are you, are you taking care of business? Or are you just kind of getting away with it? We look at our country. Man, it, everybody's been this, that, employment, you know. Can't hardly hire anybody. I don't want to get into the negative aspects of all that. It's pleasant. But then I got to ring, there's $33 trillion of debt over our head. Now, in your life, you can have everything going your way, but if you've got $33 trillion of debt over your head, it may not remain pleasant. There's a good chance. And look, while I'm here, I want to preach to you young people be careful of debt, be careful of credit cards, be careful of living above your means, live within your means. You know, I think it was Dave Ramsey said, if you live like no one else now, you will live like no one else then. And that's great wisdom. And, and we got to be careful. Oh, i got to have this because I just need this to make me feel so much better. That's not, that's, not a, that's not always sinful thinking. It's normal thinking. But we have to have rational, reasonable thinking, don't we? So the situation in our country, pleasant. Our own life, pleasant, satisfying. But it may not need to be where we really should be. Now think about our church. 
You know, I, I, I'm going to share this with you. I know, I, I'm, I, man, I, I don't have about 30 years left in me. I could coast. I know I don't have 30 years. I could coast to the, to the end. But what good would that do our church? Our church could coast because we have our bills paid. Is that where we need to be? Is, is pleasant our goal? Or is effectiveness our goal? Now, it was good in Jericho. But the problem, failure, was on its way. The ground was barren. It was unfruitful. In our church, we've got to be careful that we're fruitful. We cannot just sustain the pleasantness. Sometimes we have to make it unpleasant. All of you that's raised kids, you know pleasant was not the goal. Irritating to get the right results was necessary. And we know what the Bible says about fruitfulness. That without fruitfulness, nothing's any good. I've got some scripture verses I'm going to read before I get done today about fruitfulness. We can't exist with fruitfulness in our family, in our country, in our church, our community. We need to be careful when we're satisfied with pleasant. We must produce fruit. We must produce fruit. Are you listening? Have I made you uncomfortable? I want you to be a bit uncomfortable. Just happy with status quo. We can't exist with the lack of fruitfulness. Now, Jesus spoke a lot about the harvest, didn't he? We sang about the harvest today in that, that song about bringing in the sheaves. Israel was very fruitful at one time, but then when it became unfruitful, God judged it. I suppose that God judges anything. It's actually built into the system. If you don't sow, you do not reap. Or actually, whatever you sow, you do reap, right? If you sow the seeds of success, you reap the seeds of success. If you sow the seeds of laziness, irresponsibility, you will reap the seeds of irresponsibility. You can't live in sin and pray for crop failure. It won't happen. So the failure was coming. It was still a pleasant situation. In your marriage, your marriage can be at a place of pleasantness. And you can get the hint that it's not going to continue that way. And you have to do the things necessary to turn it the way it needs to be. Hey, life is made for maintenance and management. I'm going to tell you something. I'm a big visionary person. Man, I see visionary ideas. You know what my weakness is? Maintenance. I don't always see the maintenance. It's necessary to have maintenance in our life, in our work, in our church, in our home. Maintenance is required. Now, things must produce fruit we, we made rules years ago in our church that if it wasn't producing people coming to Christ, people getting in church, and people being uh, stirred or discipled, 
we don't need to be involved in it. And so we cut out a lot of things that we were doing because it was no fruitfulness in it. We saw no nothing good happening from it. And so from time to time in your own personal life, you've got to evaluate yourself. Isn't that true? You've got to evaluate what I'm doing and where I'm going and what I'm accomplishing. And listen, it is to keep doing the same thing that's failing is, is what? Insanity. It's insanity. Now Jesus spoke of the harvest. In uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, he said this, And now also, he said, And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now, that could have been a direct, uh, a direct point towards Israel as a nation because they become unfruitful. But what we have to do, we have to realize that Jesus always taught us the principles of life. And one of the principles of life is that you can have some pretty trees. Do you, how many remember when we had the pear trees out in the front of the church? Do you, realize how, do you realize how evil those pear trees were? Oh, they were pretty. They were pleasant. But do you know we have all over the church until about three years ago uh, thorn trees growing because the birds would spread the seed of those trees and we got thorn trees? Did you know that's the natural result of those? You know what those fruits, those, those pear trees were? They were unfruitful trees. And then someone suggested that we tear them down, cut them down. I thought, boy, that's, boy, that's going to look bad if we cut those trees down. Then I got to thinking. Do they represent what we want to be? I know I get into things and I look into things differently than most people and I make a big thing out of nothing thing. But you know what? They don't bear fruit. And I believe at the time our church was not bearing any fruit either. So we cut them down. We need to plant some fruitful trees, amen? Because we want to be a fruitful church. But you think about that. He said put an axe to it. Cut it down. And then I think of chapter 7, verse 19. Every tree that bringeth not, not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Every tree that bringeth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Jesus is teaching us to be fruitful. Is pleasant our goal? It should not be. Now, Luke 6, verse 44 says, And for every tree is known by its own fruit. For the thorns, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of bramble bush gather they grapes. Now, guys, ladies, I want us to listen about church for a moment. We have to be about the things that produce fruit or we will see the wrong results, which is no fruit that might be pleasant and happy. Preacher, we don't have a lot of things on the schedule right now, and I'm so happy. Well, that may be a good thing, and it may be a bad thing. We don't need to put a bunch of stuff on the schedule that produces nothing. We need to put the things on the schedule that are fruitful and do something for the glory of God and the good of mankind. Thank you for the amen. Now, the goal is fruitfulness. Are we bearing fruit? Then we put it to a personal test. Are you bearing fruit? 
And we have to look at ourselves. Jericho was pleasant, but it was barren. Now, what's the problem? We got, we got that laid out, right? What was the problem? From the allegorical thought of what I want to share with you, the problem was of a spiritual nature for us. Now, he said in verse 19, the water is bad. The water is not. The problem wasn't the trees. The problem wasn't the ground. The ground was good. You know, I've heard this before. Preacher, there's just nobody that we can reach. We can't reach anybody. And you know what? The disciples might have said that too because Jesus said, don't say there's four months, then come to harvest. He said the harvest is already now white under harvest. So let's not say we can't reach anybody because that's death. That is a death sentence. Just in the last year, we've seen a lot of people come to Christ as a result of reaching out to people in, in a different ministry, hadn't we? It's there. Don't say there's four months then to come. The harvest is already there. Now, we, when you're a farmer and your heart and your your crop is ripe, you don't say, "Well, I'm going to wait around and go to Florida this week and then come back in a couple weeks and then I'll I'll, I'll thrash my wheat or I'll I'll cut turn, I'll cut my cotton or I'll pick my cotton." Uh, you, a farmer doesn't say that. A farmer got his eyeballs, her eyeballs fixed on that on that fruit, on that. On that uh, market, those hogs, those cows, got, her eye, got their eyes. And, and when it's time to make the move, a good farmer moves. We as a church, there's a great harvest for us. We need to make sure that we're looking for the harvest and make the strike on time. Don't let the harvest set in the field and fall off on the ground. Don't say, oh, there's four months, yes, then come to harvest. The harvest is there every day. Now the question I'd ask us in our life, in our church, are we bearing fruit? As believers, are we bearing fruit? Now I appreciate everyone here, and I appreciate you being here, but the question I want you to ask yourself, am I just sitting on the premises or am I standing on the promises Jericho was pleasant the problem there need to be some spiritual uh, maintenance now see the problem of bad water is what they had in Jericho unsafe water we know all the things that they do it can, it can typhoid and I, I could give you a list I did the research I could tell you all the things that water can do to bring about death. But the water represents the spirit within the church. It represents a bad spirit in the text. The water was not. It wasn't, it wasn't good. It was bad. It, 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 it seemed to be pleasant. Man, my goodness, folks, there's people all around this world, good, godly people in pleasant places in their life. Oh, Pleasant just got me a dreaming of going to Florida this winter and barring Tim's motorhome or his camper. Oh, I feel so pleasant. I'm not going to the, the, the what's in places the, where they all, I'm going down to where the, the crackers live, right? In the, uh, in the redneck Florida, I'm going to just pitch Tim's 
camper out and ah, take it easy. I'm going to let Philip do all the preaching while I'm gone. And I'm going to say everything's going to be good when I go back. He, who, who wants to go with me? Who wants to go? I got a couple want to go, especially Philip. Can we, main, can we succeed with that attitude? No, we cannot. What's the problem? The Spirit's bad. The water's bad. The, the water represents the Spirit in the Bible. It represents the Word of God in the Bible, doesn't it? See, it's, what he has given us allegorically is the absence of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in, in, in uh, Thessalonians 5.19, 2 Thessalonians, that we're not to quench the Spirit, right? It tells us in Ephesians 4.30, we are not to grieve the Spirit. With, with whoever we are, we need to be careful that we don't destroy the work of the Holy Spirit, do we? Now, let's go to the next point. What's the solution? That's where we need to be. The solution. Look at verse 20. He said, and he said, bring me a new cruise. Now, cruise is like a jar. It's like a container. Cruise. He said, bring me a new cruise and put salt therein. And they brought it to him. Now, I want you to see this. We're really getting to the, to the message now. We saw the problem. Now we're looking at the solution. He said, go get me a cruise and bring it to me and put salt. Bring me a container. Now, let me ask you, who is the container of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, in the New Testament? The believer, right? Right? The believer is the container. We, we, hold, we are the dwelling place of God, the Spirit, in this age that we live in. And then, if you really look at that in the New Testament, it's not only you as an individual, it's us collectively as the ecclesia, the church family, right? It's all of us together. So we've got to get with God to get the problem solved. We have to get with God. There has to be a new cruise. There has to be a new container. There has to be a new jar. You know, I think about... When uh, Jeremiah, the pot, the, the clay and the pot, right? We are not the potter, we are the clay. And what was he making with the clay? He was making a cruise or a container, a jar. The jar needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The jar needs the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do we get that place? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present yourself. Present yourself. Let me tell you something. As a Christian, you ought to present yourself in the Lord's house every chance you get. Present yourself. Be present. I, he said, I beseech you that you would present your body, a living sacrifice. Present yourself, body. First of all, you know, preacher, I'll be with you in spirit. I've never seen a spirit yet. But I can see a body, right? And that's the container of the spirit. Uh, he said, I beseech you, brethren, that you would present your body a living sacrifice, comma, holy, comma, holy acceptable unto God. Acceptable by the preacher? No, no, no. To God. Oh, that preacher, that's asking so much that I would come to the Lord's house and come to the Lord every day in my prayer life and, 
and present my body a, a, a living sacrifice? You're asking so much. I mean, that's too much. Hey, I can't live this, this super modified Christian life all the time. I can only generate it up when things are going great in my life. He said, look at it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's only by God's mercy can we do this. And he will give us mercy to do it. That you present, give God a present. What's the present? Your bodies. Your literal body. You can't serve God without your body. That you present your body a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice. He doesn't want to crucify you literally on a cross. God's not out to kill you or get after you. That's not what he's all about. He wants you to be a living, a living, a continually living sacrificial person to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you would also, after you think about the fact that you were to present your body a living sacrifice, you need to present yourself holy to God. You need to be the best that you can be. You say, preacher, I'm not very good today. Well, hang in there, get to the altar, and keep on keeping on. Don't give up, and you'll get to where you need to be. Holy. And then he said, acceptable unto God. Who sets the standard? You, me, or God? God sets the standard. That you present an acceptable sacrifice unto God. Then notice where I've been headed for the last minute, which is your reasonable. God's not asking us to do anything unreasonable. And forgive me if you think I'm asking you to do something unreasonable. I'm not asking you to do anything outside what the will of God and the power of God allows you to do. But we should present ourselves to God because it's just reasonable that we should do this. And guess what? God can take that jar, you, who you are, and he can make it new again. He can make it clean again. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God can make you brand new all over again. But here's the problem. Are you full of stuff and empty of God? Is there no room for God? Have you allowed the world and our own selves to get us so full of everything. There's no room. There's no room. I think of the, the Christmas story when they were looking for a place to have baby Jesus. And they went to the keeper. And what happened? There was no room for them. And the ideal is, is there room for Jesus? And of course, he was put in a, a barn, wasn't he? Symbolizing the attitude of the world towards Christ. Right? What is our attitude to Christ? Do we have a place for Him in our life? Do we have a place for Him in our daily schedule? Do we have a place for Him in our week? Do we make room for Jesus? See, He told the men of the city, get me a new cruise. And if we're going to see the, the work of God in our life that we're just not pleasant, hey, it's pleasant just to be saved. But if we want to get past pleasantness, we need to bring to God a new jar, one that's been washed, one that's been cleansed by God, one that's ready to surrender. And we have to empty ourselves of some stuff to be able to do that. And so what else is he going to do? He said, put salt in it. As I told you earlier, I believe Jesus is pulling in the New Testament from this text, right? 
He said, put salt in it. And I don't have to talk to you about all the stuff that salt does. And, and it, it's, it purifies. It heals. It reflects light. It preserves, right? Salt. Salt is symbolic of, of us being who we need to be, filled with the Spirit of God. He said, put salt in it. Put salt in it. So here's how it works. Here's how you solve the problem. You take, become a new vessel. You've got to get cleaned up again with God. Now listen, we're positionally cleansed by the blood of Christ because we are saved. But our devotional life, our, our daily walk, we get dirty, don't we? Right? We get, we get our feet dirty. Remember when Jesus said to Peter, he said, come over here, Peter, I want to wash your feet. And Peter said, no, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. You're not going to bow yourself down to do that. I am just a, a human being. You're not going to wash. He said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. Right? And so Peter then opened his mouth, put the other foot in, said, then wash me all over. He said, you don't need washed all over. Peter, you've already been washed all over, but you've gotten your feet dirty walking through this world that you're walking in. And that's the truth that every Christian needs to understand. When we get saved, we have been, we have been washed in the blood of Christ, and we're continually being washed in the blood of Christ, so it keeps us clean, it keeps us on the right page, but we walk through a world that's dirty, and we get our feet dirty, don't we? Now, that's the difference between a hog and a dog and a sheep, which illustrates your nature. Now, a hog is smart. A sheep is dumb. I'm not trying to make that analogy, okay? But a hog goes back to his waller, according to Peter. A dog goes back to what? Vomit. Think about that for a moment. A dog goes back to his vomit. You've seen it happen. Preacher, you trying to gross me out? I am. I want us to see our going back to the old sinful life is like a dog going back to his vomit. I want us to see that as a Christian, we're not like a, a hog. Go back. We don't go back to our waller and get ourselves soaked in the mud. We have the nature of a sheep. As a Christian, right? A sheep gets dirty, though. Actually, they're pretty filthy, aren't they? They have to be continually cleansed. Peter... Come here, let me wash your feet. Jesus washed his feet. And of course, that's why they, they did the foot washing thing was the symbolic, symbolic of Jesus cleansing us of our dirty feet we get from walking in the world in which we live in. So, we have to put salt in. Now, what he did in the text, verse 21, he went, went to the source. He went to the waterhead. With the help of a new cruise, and with the salt in that cruise, he went to the spring, the source of water, illustrating back to God, the source, and verse 22, and said, The waters were healed unto this day according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. The cure. So in our church, in our country, in our own personal lives, it can be pleasant. Pleasant now is no indication that what we're doing is going to get us to where we need to be. We have to do the things we know that are right. We have to get up off the couch. 
take care of it. Men, you got to go with the wife, clean the floor, pick up the clothes. I always pick my clothes up and throw them right by the washer. I'm just confessing my sins. We have to, we have to do something, don't we? It's pleasant. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. Don't you hear me? I'm the preacher, right? I'm the preacher. You know what that means? That doesn't mean anything. I, I'm, I'm not a forgiver of sin. I'm just a brother, right? I'm just a brother. But can I tell you what I experienced for 40 years? People come to me when the pleasantness is gone and judgment is coming. And they've endured it as long as they, they played it out as long as they can. They just let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, and let it go. And then they say, all right, preacher, fix it. I want to say, you know, I'm not God. I am not God. And I want to say you have waited so long, but I don't usually say that because I, I do have a little, you know, when somebody is messed up, they don't need somebody else beating them over the head with the truth at that time, right? Maybe they do. Let's not enjoy our pleasantness to the point where judgment is here. Clean the act up. Clean that cruise. Clean that cruise. Get that cruise back on the altar. Don't, it's pleasant. Don't wait till it's not pleasant. Do it now. Lay it on that altar. Surrender that life to God. And then put that salt in it. Symbolic of the Word of God in truth. Live that truth. He says, go to the source, God. And you'll find healing. Now, the problem of barrenness. The problem of unfruitfulness. It's true in our life. It's true in our church that it can be pleasant. But let's not live with pleasantness. Let's live with effectiveness. What are we trying to do here? Seriously, we're trying to reach people that are unchurched. We're trying to reach people that are unsaved. And bring them into the family of God, right? Let's make sure we're doing the things that make that take place. Let's not enjoy what we have to the point of losing what we have. Let's bow our heads. As our musicians come, our heads are bowed. Lord, I thank you for each one that's here, and I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us wherever we are, whatever we're doing. I pray, Lord, that it's just not me getting into their kitchen. Lord, I don't want into anybody's kitchen. I want you, Spirit of God, to deal with us. Lord, there are people here. I know that the cruise is, is not new. It's not cleansed. I pray that today they would get that cleaned up. I pray they put some salt in there, the Word of God. And then go to God, to the source. Fix the problem. We ask you to bless them in this invitation, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's all stand and sing out. You come today if you need to. We welcome you to come if you need to pray. Don't tolerate that filth. 
don't tolerate it. Lay it on the altar. Maybe pleasant. It could be pleasant, but don't live with pleasantness. Anyone else? Is it going good for you right now? I want you to enjoy that, but don't be satisfied with it. Try to make make the decisions you need to make to, to find fruitfulness. Let's sing that out now. Let's all sing it to the Lord. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me and that thou mayest become to thee O Lamb of God I come anyone need to come need to get out of the pleasantness maybe put something on the altar maybe do something why it's pleasant I am Waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot to thee whose blood cleanses each call of God I come. I'll share this with you from experience. God gives us a place of pleasantness. We make the mistake of just enjoying it. We need to be reevaluating ourselves at that place of pleasantness. And we need to make sure that we're sowing the seeds of successfulness and fruitfulness. Do the things we need to do. Now listen, God saves you. But you know, that's about it. That's the free gift, which is the most important gift. Eternal life. But listen, some of us get the free gift and we want it to be a welfare system the rest of the way out. It's not that way. You have to apply yourself. You have to surrender yourself. You have to make the decisions, the changes that need to be made. If we don't make those changes, in that pleasantness, you'll find yourself in a crisis. And it's, it's hard in a crisis. And I, honestly, I get, I get the call in the crisis. And then I'm supposed to be a miracle worker. And I'm not. All you're doing is making my life miserable that day, too. I, I call me. I'm not, I'm, saying don't, I'm not saying don't call. But, but I, I have a compassionate heart, and, and, you know, I feel it. I feel it. But I can't fix it. Fix it in the pleasant stage. You say, preacher, I, I'm just kind of dabbling with the things I used to dabble with, and I don't feel any great conviction. I'm so much better than I used to be. Oh, woe is me. That's the pleasantness. Better get rid of it. Lay it aside. Put it behind you. Lay it aside. You say, well, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing any of that like I used to. That pornography, I used to really be in a, I just, I just kind of dabbling in now. I really don't think there's anything wrong with me dabbling with you. What? You know what I'm saying? 
It's pleasant laid aside. My temper, I've got my temper pretty much under control. Listen, if you've got a temper problem, you don't ever have control of it. You better to be dealing with it. Dealing with it. Dealing with it. Surrendering. Surrendering. Learning. Go see someone that knows stuff. Learn. Learn. When you get to be about 80 years old, coast the rest of the way to heaven. But most people that are 80, are, they can't just coast. Because you don't get to be 80 coasting. We that are young, we need to be applied. Don't take it. Or take advantage of the pleasant stage and make a difference in your life. Any other word? For, oh, we got to get the offering. I forgot about the offering. I should have saved all that till after the offering. Pray.